So our scripture today comes from Acts 13, 1 through 12. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what, he, what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to us in love. Good morning. Uh, my name's Andy, and I have the gift of uh, being part of the preaching team here at Hope. Uh, and it's a, a gift I don't take lightly. Um, I'm so thankful that the, that the elders of the church uh, continue to ask me to, to do this, and it's a gift. So uh, thank you. And I love worshiping uh, with this body of believers. This is our church family. Love worshiping the Lord with you and sharing life with you more and more. Um, it's a gift. Well, here we are in Acts 13, and as I was looking at this passage uh, with this strange character uh, named Elymas slash Bar-Jesus, I thought about uh, an analogy of false teaching slash false prophecy. So you know how uh, with your your GPS, right, and you're you're punching in where you want to go, and you're driving along, and, you know, there's this one part maybe of your directions where there, there's, a, there's two roads that are really close together, and you, you can't really tell because they're so close together that, that maybe you're supposed to kind of go this way, but it's like really close where the other one's going to go, right? And then you start to go, which you think it looks like it's the right way, right? And then you actually don't really realize you end up going on the wrong path that was so close to that right path, you don't really realize it until it's too late, and you're like, oh, gosh, we got to turn around. And, and it was so, it's just that it's so close, right? And it's easy to make a mistake when you look at those two close paths there. They start off so close, but the wrong lane or the wrong exit will take you further and further away from where you want to go, actually, right? And then also with your GPS, right, you can, um, it doesn't work ultimately if you put in a location that 
has a name that you think is correct, but really, and so you start off on the, on the directions, you're, you're thinking the whole time it's going to take you to the right place. And maybe it was a place with a similar name, or maybe there's more than one location with the same name. And so from the start, you think you're putting in the right thing. But by the time you get there, you realize we are at the wrong place. Uh, Drew and I recently went to go meet uh, my son, Drew. Uh, He went with me, and I was going to meet with another pastor in uh, Winchester, Virginia. And... There was, he wanted to meet at this restaurant called the Italian Touch. And I'm thinking, how many Italian... Th- I mean, I'm just thinking there's only one Italian Touch in Winchester, Virginia. But there were two of them. <laughs> so we ended up... I punched in Italian Touch. I'm thinking, this is the place. But there was one in old Winchester. And then there was one much farther... About 20 minutes difference. So we get there and I'm like, I'm here. You know? And we're looking for him. He's like, I'm here too. You know, one of those deals, right? So from the start, we put in what we thought was the right place, but it took us to a very different place that was not where we wanted to go. Well, this is similar to how false prophets and teachers can lead us astray. It sounds like they are so close sometimes to what Scripture says, but it leads to a different ending. And sometimes... Uh, We can even have similar starting words, similar vocabulary with people who might believe something different than Scripture. And so the starting words that we start talking about, they sound like we are talking about the same thing, but they mean something very different. Sometimes it can take us a while to figure out that their beliefs actually are very different than ours. Well, the Bible seems to spend a lot of time warning us about false teaching and false prophets. In our uh, Wednesday morning men's study, we've been in uh, 1 Peter and 2 Peter and Jude, and there's a lot of time spent on false teaching in there and how the Lord feels about false teaching. And There's a lot there. Paul in his letters warns against it. Jesus in Matthew 7 says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves you will recognize them by their fruits. And in Acts, we're going to continue to see more and more examples of false teaching. Now, Elymas here, this magician guy, you're like, oh, well, gosh, he's a magician. He's claiming to do a bunch of different things with maybe potions and stuff like that. And you're like, well, that would be easy to spot. Well, maybe. But then there's also some other elements of false teaching in Acts that were really easy for a lot of people to buy into, Jews, Gentiles. So, let's pray right now and ask for the Lord's help as we look at this passage. Spirit, I thank you for how you turn the lights on. Uh, You help us to see what's true. And Lord, I thank you for how you have given us your word so that we can measure all things by it. So Lord, help us this morning to gain confidence even more in your word. And uh, Spirit, I pray that you would maybe turn the lights on a little bit brighter for us and help us to keep walking in the light as you are in the light. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, our passage today uh, in some ways could be broken down into two things, that marks of true prophets and teaching versus marks of false prophets and teaching. And really it comes down to the Spirit and the Word. Spirit and the Word confirm true prophecy and teaching, and then false prophecy and teaching, it really makes crooked what the Spirit and the Word makes straight. Okay, so in verse 1, we see that uh, they're in Antioch. We're, we're still in uh, Antioch and the church there. And there are prophets and teachers, legitimate prophets and teachers, in Antioch. So it's kind of ironic that we're about to go into some false prophet stuff. But the Lord is establishing true prophets and teachers among his people. So you have this list of some of them, and we see that uh, Saul, uh, who, we now, who we know as Paul also, is a part of that. So God is affirming these true prophets and teachers, and then he goes on to tell us more info about how he is affirming their ministry. So in verse 2, we start to see some of this. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said... So we see right there, just how we've been seeing in this theme of Acts, God is putting his stamp of approval on what's happening among his people by the power of the Spirit. So he is the one making all these things happen. So while they were gathering to worship, so it could have been just like we are gathering to worship here today as his people. So the church in Antioch, here's the church, Hope Chapel, right, gathering, and while in the midst of worship, that's when the Holy Spirit was speaking to them and, and in fasting. So I, I remember um, something I learned while I was in seminary, uh, and I think I kind of already knew it before this, but the church that we were worshiping at while I was in seminary, um, the Lord kept impressing upon me this one thing that was just really, I mean, he, he would impress a lot of things, but one kind of thing that just kept coming onto my mind and heart was just my idolatry for collectibles, okay? <laughs> um, some of you are like, collectibles, why would you make that an idol? And then some of you are like, yeah, I understand exactly what you're saying. Um, and so uh, it was in the midst of worship each Sunday that that I would, like the Lord just kept making, you have made this too big in your heart, Andy. You have made this too big in your heart. And I I just want to tell you that when you gather to worship the Lord with his people, or just when you seek to abide in Christ throughout your everyday life, or when you seek to worship the Lord on your own individually, whatever, like really listen to the things that the Lord's laying on your heart. I would guess that there's some of you in this room right now that there are things that the Lord is laying on your heart while you're in the midst of worshiping him that you know you should act on. You know you need to do something different about it. I say don't let that rest here. Don't let that stay just in here, but really follow what the Lord is doing in you in this time. That's exactly what he was doing with them, was laying something specific for them to go do. 
So he had a specific message. When we put ourselves in position to worship the Lord and abide in him, he seems to speak most clearly to us. I mean, that's just the way it goes a lot of times. So the message was he sets apart Barnabas and Saul for a specific work. He affirms them as true prophets and teachers to be sent out. Then, in verse 3, so then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So here is another time of worshiping and abiding at some level to confirm the word of the Lord that he had already spoken before and as a level of preparation. This is really like messing up here. Let me see this. We'll see if that works better. So uh, a sense of uh, preparing and also another time of worshiping and confirming. Sometimes, you know, like if the Lord's laying something on your heart this morning, then keep praying about it. Keep seeking the Lord about it so that you can continue to get that confirmation to move forward in doing something different in your life that he would call you to. Then in verse 4, uh, they, they are sent out. And once again, we have this emphasis on the Spirit's work and sending. So they're sent out by the Holy Spirit. And so they start on this journey, and they went to Cyprus, which is an island in the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, and when they arrived, they arrived on the eastern side of the island, and then they traveled through to the western side to this uh, city called Paphos. And while they were in Paphos, uh, and this is one of the, at the time was one of the major cities of Cyprus, uh, they discovered this false prophet. And it says, uh, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus, which that's a Hebrew name, uh, which you know, would have meant, remember Jesus' name is more like Joshua in Hebrew, okay? So uh, Jesus is like a Greek equivalent of Joshua. So Bar-Jesus would be son of Joshua. Bar means son. So son of Jesus, son of Joshua. So this, is, this was his Jewish name. And so he, so he was a Jewish man who, was, who considered himself a prophet, and others looked to him that way. But really, uh, he sets himself up as a false prophet. And it says that he was, uh, he was with the proconsul, which was a high Roman official there on the island. So he was some kind of a servant, advisor, or some other hired position to the proconsul probably for the, for the reason of his prophecy abilities to be an advisor, to be some kind of teacher, which it seems like this proconsul was really interested in having teaching, like hearing teachings come to him because he, he summoned for Paul and Barnabas to come. So he wanted to hear their message, which we know is the true gospel, right? But bar Jesus, and then it says... Uh, a little bit later on, so in verse, uh, verse 8, but Elemis, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, Elemis is a Greek word for magician. Okay, so now it's kind of switching to his Greek name. So he opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul from, away from the faith. So he wanted to frustrate their efforts, wanted to turn him away, turn the proconsul away from the faith. 
And this could be uh, for several reasons, but one of them, if he's hired by the proconsul for his abilities, for his gifts or whatever, then he might lose a job, right? So he's going to put pressure. On, he doesn't want to lose his job. He doesn't want to lose his way of living. At the very least, he doesn't want to lose his credibility in front of them. So he's going to come against them. And he, I mean, he may fully believe in his message, right? So there's a sense that he doesn't want a message that is contrary to his to be the one that's prevailing. So that's why he's going to come against them. Now, in verse 9, Paul, uh, he kind of steps forward, but Saul, who was also called Paul, so there's a, there's a switch here in the book of Acts. Saul is his Hebrew name, right? And his new name is Paul, which is a Greek name. So now we're going to start to see the name Paul pretty much exclusively for him in the book of Acts. So he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Once again, here we have a confirmation. The Lord is putting his stamp of approval on these guys with his message. Okay? So he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And uh, looked intently at him. And then in verse 10, we see this spirit-inspired indictment against a false prophet. Son of Satan, right? He says, um, son of the devil, son of Satan, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy. Those are some pretty harsh words. It does remind me, like one of the things we, we recognized in our study on Wednesday mornings was there are harsh strong words that the Lord has against false teaching. I mean, if you read some of those passages like we said in Second Peter and in Jude, I mean, just really strong words. The Lord does not like people who are trying to twist what he says. He doesn't like that because he knows it's going to lead people astray. So he calls him son of the devil, even though his Hebrew name is son of Joshua, he's really the son of the devil. He's not son of Jesus. He's not son of Joshua. Doesn't go along with that. He goes along more with what Satan does. He's an enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy. He seeks, he's seeking to do wrong. He's seeking to lead people astray. And then part of this indictment is really what we should focus on here. He's making crooked the straight paths of the Lord. That's the ultimate indictment against false teaching, false prophecy. It's making crooked what the Lord has made straight. So he says, when are you going to stop this? When, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Now in verse 11, okay, you just had a spirit-inspired indictment. Now you have a spirit manifested power over a false prophet so paul says this is what's going to happen to you and it really does happen to him so a physically life-altering sign to prove his teachings and prophecies are false so the spirit is now doing the opposite thing the, the power of the lord is doing the opposite thing that he was doing with the disciples and apostles He's putting his stamp of approval on them with the Holy Spirit, right? Now his power is being used to show that this person is false. Now, ironically, he was leading people, 
So Elymas was leading people into mist and darkness. I just love some of the songs you chose this morning, Mike. Just like the, the, and the things you're saying about light. I mean, the Lord leads us into light, doesn't he? And so here's Elymas leading people into mist and darkness. And then now he is in mist and darkness and looking for people to lead him. And then we have this great story at the end of what happens after all this. The Spirit is the one who brought about the change in the proconsul. It was the true teaching of the Lord that astonished him when he saw that what had occurred, for he was astonished. So it says that he believed, right? He was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So before, that's pretty much the passage right there at some level when we see the, the, the things of the Spirit working to confirm good teaching and we see the confirmation of false teaching. Even though we don't even know exactly what Elymas was teaching and prophesying about. We just know he was leading people astray. But if we look a little bit deeper, like let's, let's just talk about what what some false prophecies, false teaching is for us today, okay? What is now in our lives today that is trying to make crooked what God has made straight? Well, first of all, what is prophecy? I mean, just in general, prophecy is the delivering the Word of God to the current day culture situation. So delivering God's Word, being able to apply it to the current day and situation. So a lot of times we think about prophecy as just predicting the future or whatever. That's an element of it, but it's primarily taking God's word and applying it to the, the day and time around you, to a person's life or situation. So one of the things, too, that the Bible says that a test of a prophet was that they had to make a prediction that came true in their own lifetime. All right, so if they weren't able to do that, and they were always talking about things that were way off in the future and like, you know... There's nothing to confirm there. Do they really, are they really speaking from the Lord? So ultimately, a false prophet is someone uh, claiming they speak for God, but sooner or later their fruit will show that they twist or contradict God's word. They don't properly apply God's word to the people and times around them. So, like I said, we don't know the exact false prophecies of Elymas, but we do know that he was trying to lead people away from the true Holy Spirit-inspired gospel. He was making a crooked path away from God's straight path. So what are some examples today of false prophecy, false teaching? Okay, we're just going to talk about three very briefly. There are so many more we could talk about, okay? And if you have questions about what some of these could be, um, things you're hearing, I know that the elders, myself, Harrison, we would love to talk to you to help you work through what you might be hearing and trying to figure out if it really is true or not. Okay. All right, first one. And this one, at some level, you'll be like, oh, this is a layup, Andy. Okay, well, the prosperity gospel, health and wealth. So it emphasizes the riches that we find in Christ and the favor we have with the Lord in Christ they make it too high 
of an earthly manifestation of that. Good health and riches now in this life. And a lot of it is tied to the strength of your faith. So depending on how strong your faith is, then that will determine how much prosperity you experience. So if we know the Word of God well enough, we can easily refute these claims, right? The theme of riches in Christ and favor with the Lord and prosperity, if you want to say that word, in Christ, it has to do more with favor with God we find because of Christ's death on the cross. And we're adopted as His children into His family. And ultimately, heaven is the fulfillment of any kind of reward or riches that we get. Now, can, can the Lord bless us in this life? Yeah. But have you ever noticed how a lot of times you get blessed with something and like you've been crummy for a long time and all of a sudden the Lord still gives you a gift? Like that doesn't, like if it's just my strength of my faith, strength of my following the Lord equals this then how many times are we getting gifts that we don't deserve, right? And it's also clear in Scripture that some of the most faithful people experience the worst kind of stuff. So the people with the strongest faith, a lot of times, experience terrible things, hard things. So we can't just say it's this, this equals this, right? So a health and wealth gospel is one that would lead us into just false beliefs, false practices, how we pray, how we interact with the Lord, how we interact with other people. Because, man, if I'm doing well in life, my faith must be better than yours because it looks like you're struggling. Right? Okay. Mormonism. Joseph Smith is a false prophet. He's a false prophet. They claim to be Christ followers, but the question is, what kind of Christ? What kind of Christ? So in Joseph Smith's King Follett sermon, Joseph said that he would refute any idea that there is one God in all eternity and that people could become gods themselves. He just flat out says that. And that each one of us has the capability of becoming a god of our own planet. These are not things that are set up front by the Mormon church. So you, you talk about that GPS direction where you punch in, you might have similar terms, and it looks like we're going to end up at the same place. Similar terms, ending up at two different places. Jesus is also the offspring of God, of our, the God of our planet, and of one of his goddess wives. Satan and Jesus are brothers. So Jesus and Satan were both created beings. Well, how are you saved in Mormonism? Well, you're saved uh, by faith and works. Both of those things put together. That's how you get salvation. So in the Book of Mormon in 2 Nephi, uh, it says, For we know that it is by grace that we are saved after all that we can do. There's that little clause on the end there. Which is a twisting of Ephesians 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So our justification with God 
is by faith alone, by grace alone, right? Now, works, because I was just texting with a Mormon friend the other day, a lot of times they bring up James, you know, faith without works is dead. They'll, they'll, they'll go there a lot. And, uh, you know, in the end, you have to be able to hold the tensions that the Lord puts in his word. The reason why faith without works is dead is because there should be some fruit of the faith that you have on the inside of you. So if you don't have any Jesus-like things coming out of you, well, then that shows that the faith on the inside is dead, that you don't even have it. You're still dead in your trespasses and sins, maybe. So to, to claim that as, oh, you need faith plus works, well, then that totally negates all the passages that talk about faith alone is what justifies you before God. So do you see that they'll take, uh, this is what false teachers and false prophets do, they may even take an aspect of truth and overemphasize that and raise that really high, but that's to the detriment of the other things that God is teaching, to where we need to be able to hold these things in tension together. And those two things put together is the straight path that God is making. Overemphasizing one makes the path crooked. Okay, lastly, this one may hit home a little bit more for some of us. Um, as parents or grandparents, we need to be very careful about the kind of gospel, about what it means to be a Christian that we display to our children and grandchildren, okay? One thing that can be very easy for us as parents to do is that we can uh, try to raise our kids and emphasize things with our kids that is so behavior-driven, so much according to Christians do these things and don't do these things. And we're totally trying to manage them according to their behavior. Anybody ever fall into this as a parent? You're trying to control them according to their behavior. And so the, the thing that we communicate to them, even maybe by how we talk about the Lord or talk about what we do as Christians, what we communicate to them is actually a false gospel. Because we're saying, this is what Christianity is like. This is what Christians do. They do these things and don't do these things. When really the whole point of Christianity and what it means to know Jesus is that we can't keep the do's and don'ts. That's why we need him to die for us. So there, there should be a sense of uh, humility that we show to our kids. We should be telling our kids the true gospel. We should be uh, pointing them to issues of what's going on on the inside of them because it's very important. This is what, what's going on on the inside of us is most important to the Lord. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what matters is what's going on in here. Now, should we still point our kids in good directions? Should we still discipline them? Should we still tell them about morals and behavior? Yes, we should. But we need to keep pointing them to the gospel. We don't want to become false teachers to our children, which can be a very subtle thing that we do over the course of raising our kids in our home. So may the Lord help us in that. Well, lots of other kinds of false teaching that we can go over. There is no hell. Overemphasizing the grace of God. 
universalism. All religions are basically the same. The Bible contains the Word of God, but is not entirely the Word of God. If you've heard any of those and you don't know what they are, we'd love to talk to you afterwards about them. But like we started with, with the kids singing Hosanna, on Palm Sunday, people were shouting Hosanna, which is save now, save us, to Jesus. They were shouting to the right person, weren't they? They were shouting the right thing to the right person. But they had different reasons for why they were shouting. One of them was that some of them wanted to be saved from Roman rule. And Jesus' own words of how he taught and led did not match that. So that would have been a false teaching at the time, wouldn't it have? And so on Palm Sunday, today, let's shout Hosanna to the one true Savior and let's desire his saving work for the reasons that he said that we need his saving work. To pay for our sins on the cross so that we would be right with the God who made us when our faith is in him and we love him and follow him, right? So Hosanna. Save us now, Lord. Amen.